Welcome to episode 28 of Women of the Wagons. I'm your host, Cass Patterson. <laughs> well, what a week to come back. Um, Yeah, what a week to come back. For those who don't know, uh, yesterday the Calgary Stampede announced that there will be no Rangeland Derby at the Stampede this year. There'll be a Calgary Stampede. There'll be a rodeo. There'll be an evening show. There'll be rides there will not be a Rangeland Derby. Um, the Stampede is saying that their decision to not move forward with the Rangeland Derby at this year's event is because there was no events. We still haven't heard from Pinoca, so there could be a Pinoca. Um, but there were no events uh, scheduled leading up to the Stampede uh, besides for Pinoca. So their reasoning is they are worried the horses would not be in shape. They wouldn't be at their top. Um, they kind of referenced it being a preseason. So you do your preseason training and then you go straight into the championship, which we've talked about Stampede being a championship before. What is being said, on the other hand, from drivers, is had they known that they needed five weekends of racing, that that, that was what Stampede, or Stampede required of them, was five weekends of racing before Stampede, they would have found a way to do that. Now, it goes back to COVID restrictions. There's struggles doing that. Um... I'm just a reporter. <laughs> At the end of the day, I am not a driver. I am not a member of a driver's family. I am just a reporter. I am here to bring the stories of the drivers, of the sponsors, of everyone involved in the sport. I'm here to bring them to you. I'm here to bring those stories to light because sometimes they aren't. So, it's hard for me to sit here and give my opinion because at the end of the day, I don't think my opinion is going to change anything. I think what matters is the opinion of the drivers. I'm going to read um, Kurt Benzmiller's uh, statement to the Calgary Sun because I think it was probably one of the best ones that I've seen. Um, actually, there's two here. There's Kurt and then there's Chance, uh, vegan. So Kurt told the Calgary Sun, it's kind of a slap in the face what the Stampede has done to us. And for them to use us as the reason why, because we're not going to have the horses ready, I'm very disappointed that they'd use the integrity of me or any of the drivers. But I guess that's what happens. Now I've spent tens of thousands of dollars to get ready. So I'm hoping I can take my horses somewhere. There you go. That is what Kurt said. And I really hope that there is somewhere for Kurt and for the rest of the guys to drive. And you know what? Chance makes a really good point here as well. 
saying it's a sad day for the sport of wagon racing and the loyal fans across Western Canada. It breaks my heart to see Stampede as no problem inviting all these Americans to come up and rodeo, yet turn their back on Alberta and Saskatchewan drivers at a time when we needed them the most. So there you go. Take those two statements and do what you will with them. Now, the dust has settled. It's 24 hours later. And I, I want to read this last thing, and then I'm going to go into my interview today. But this last post was from Caitlin Fike, and we've had Caitlin on here before. Um, she's amazing. Her and Chad are just such positive and upbeat people. But Caitlin wrote, This morning we did what we've done for the last two months. We trained. And do you know what we're going to do tomorrow? Train. Chad Fike reminded me last night that there's a lot of days of running this year and we're going to keep with our program because we are already ready for all of them. We planned for this. These are our babies. We know them. We know what it takes specifically down to the number of days and runs for each horse because we know which one peaks early and which ones need more time. They need to be in full performance mode. We don't do anything without careful planning and consideration. I brought out some apples after we trained and sat with them for a while with tears rolling down my face and reminded myself of what my husband said. Everything happens for a reason. This is our mantra. So tomorrow we will train. When you visit us at the other shows, I sure hope you do. We'll be ready, excited, and doing what we love. So there we go. And... That brings us in to this interview. Um, I recorded it a couple weeks ago, so it was before the announcement from the government of Alberta about uh, what is going to happen possibly with, you know, opening of restrictions and that. But it is with Tanya Fro, the president of the High River Egg Society. And you know what? It is positive and upbeat and I am so excited to share this interview. Tanya just, she loves the sport. She loves the people involved. And as you can tell, there's going to be a lot of like me geeking out and being like, well, can we do this to uplift the sport? And can we do that? And asking her all sorts of questions that I've had bubbling up for quite a while. But I think this is the perfect time for this interview to be released. It's funny how the universe works. So with that being said, here is my interview with Tanya Fro. And we are on the line with Tanya Fro, who is the president of the High River Egg Society. How are you doing today, Tanya? I am doing well. Thanks so much, Cass. No problem. I am excited to have this conversation. Uh, you are our first committee member and you're a president, so that makes it even better to join oh. Women of the Wagons. Uh, so I guess before we kind of hop into like your job and what it entails and all that fun stuff, let's start off with kind of your backstory. Um, you grew up not far from what some would call the capital of uh, Chuck Wagon Racing. So you grew up just 30 miles east of Grand Prairie. True story. So what was it like growing up in Grand Prairie and kind of how did you get involved in this crazy world? So we had a small mixed farm and like you said, Grand Prairie is kind of a hot spot for wagons. Like 
family names like Sinclair and Vegan and Sutherland, they're quite literally the neighbors. Um, keeping in mind that 30 miles is still a neighbor in the peace country because it's big country and people are spread way out. But um, my family raised purebred cattle. And so we showed at the fairs in Grand Prairie and Valley View and Dawson Creek and in GP and Dawson, especially, there was always a rodeo and wagons that went along with the fair. And so I just, I'd always find my way out to where the wagons were camped and I'd wander through looking at all the beautiful horses. You know, that's funny because that's me. I always wander through and I'm like, ooh, that horse is really pretty. <laughs> right? Some of them are just spectacular and some of them are not so pretty, but man, can they run. <laughs> so in your, uh, in our little questionnaire I sent you, the thing that caught my eye the most was your blurb that says horse hair is therapeutic. Absolutely. So um, I was horse crazy from a very young age and some of my earliest memories are riding double with my aunts or walking under horse bellies to hand the cinch to whomever was saddling up. Don't recommend that. It's probably not the safest thing, but man, was it fun when I was a kid. <laughs> um, for us, horses were tools that we used for herding cattle and my grandparents actually used them to haul feed with a stone boat out to their cattle. And as a teenager, you know, Teenage girls especially, I think, go through a lot of angst. And I learned that the outside of a horse is good for the inside of a human. And horse hair really is therapeutic. So it, uh, that my mare was, she was my safe place. You know what, that's so true because we've heard so many people talk about how uh, their horses, you know, got them through tough times or they just go yeah. and they pet them and just to feel that, you know, connection. and. Uh, Horses are such good judges of character. It's, they are empaths and they, they take on everything that you were sending out. And sometimes that can be not great. And other days that's the best thing ever. I love that. So you are quite the horseman yourself or horsewomen, I guess whoever's <laughs> listening to this, they can pick which uh, term they want to use. Um, but you attended a lot of horsemanship clinics and you do still now, but there is one that kind of sticks out with you. And, uh, you know, I think a lot of people can relate because you had a horse that did not want to go into the trailer whatsoever. No, no, true. So, um, I don't know. I think I'd have been about 16 for this particular incident. And my mare had a young foal that, He'd never been in the trailer before, and it took my mom and me over an hour to coerce that little turkey into the trailer. And I mean, he was little. So who knew that something so little could be so wily and determined? <laughs> um, once we got him in the trailer, the mare loaded up and that was fine. But once we got to the clinic, she was some upset about being separated from her baby for the duration. And I mean, let's picture that super shrill whinnying and profuse sweating and foaming it was it was not a pretty situation <laughs> we carried on and the clinician was actually Alana vegan and she was understanding about what was going on with my mare and I felt terrible because we interrupted the clinic frequently unfortunately but um, I think the most humiliating moment was when us numpties just couldn't grasp whatever she was trying to demonstrate. And she asked Chance, who was about 10 years old at the time, to demonstrate it for us. So it was, that was a moment. <laughs> uh, that's actually kind of funny. <laughs> right? Like, 
he just scrambled right on up this big gelding and away he went and I'm like oh okay I guess that's how it's done <laughs> I mean Chance has like some sort of magic about him when it comes to his horses so right. I wouldn't take it too personally I guess he had that magic even at 10 years old oh and and I suspect long before then right like I would wager that he was riding long before he was walking. So <laughs> it was more second nature to him than the rest of us. Exactly. Well, I mean, if anyone was going to show you up, it might as well be a check wagon driver. Right. Just that, that should put it in perspective. He sits in the wagon now and deals with four of them at once. Yeah. So the rodeo and wagons and horses and ranching has been in your blood forever and then you went and you kind of took a bit of a different path but you kept that love for rural Alberta and rural Canada in your career absolutely so um, my career for the last 20 years I've been a retail agronomist for a crop inputs company um, and my main objective was to help farmers get the most out of their crops and their hayland and the cattle and the horses still held a special place in my heart and I always had a special focus on forages just really being able to find the right mixture to meet a livestock owner's specifications is always a challenge that I love because you know this guy doesn't want a bunch of timothy but that guy does and the the feed values and how to make it work for their situation was always one of my favorite things Okay, so being an agronomist, is that as hard as being an economist? Because the economy side of things just confuses me. So I feel like the agriculture and crop side is just as confusing. Oh, absolutely. There's a million different nuances to everything that can be done. And so I have a diploma in agriculture technology from Fairview College. And many of my coworkers over the years were self-taught. They literally learned trial by fire. And learned their lessons that way. Um, many of the new folks coming into the agriculture industry now, they hold university degrees and those degrees range from science to engineering to economics. It's the, the scope within agriculture is huge. That's really interesting. It, it would be very cool because I mean, when it comes to crops, I there's so many different variables that I mean, like most things in life, you can't control. You can't control whether it's going to be a dry summer or a really wet summer or right. all yeah. that fun stuff. So that would keep you on your toes. And then you've switched your role recently. And let's talk yes. about a bit about that. So like I said, for 20 years, I've been an agronomist and I'm now an insurance advisor working specifically to help farms insure their revenue, which helps make certain that they're there to farm again next year. And like you said, there's so many risks and so many things that you can't control in agriculture. And for farmers to be able to know what their bottom line on their revenue is gonna be is huge. It makes such a difference in how they plan and their behaviors. It's, it's quite remarkable to see some of the changes that come over people once they know some things are certain in their operation now. That sounds really interesting. And it probably brings you the opportunity to meet quite a few interesting people and uh, just kind of build a lot of interesting relationships and, uh, you know, connections. For sure. I, and it, it's cool to begin with 
like I'm just getting started in this new career, but um, I'm still dealing with the same customers that I've dealt with for the last 20 years, just in a different aspect. And it's great. So on top of working, on top of your life, on top of everything else, you are, I guess, a very integral part now, and you have been for the past four years in the High, High River Egg Society and in, uh, you know, the planning and the execution of Guy Wiedek Days. And for those who don't know what Guy Wiedek Days is, uh, that is the event that happens in High River where the WPCA drivers go. Um, and I love Guy Wiedek Days. It's so much fun to go to. So yes. how did you get involved uh, starting four years ago? So a friend and a neighbor actually convinced me to come and join the Ag Society board. And um, I started out as a secretary. I was the secretary for a year. I was the treasurer for three years, I guess. I think that's how that went. I think it was a treasurer for three years. And now at the start of this new term, I am now the president. So I kind of moved up through the ranks and I've assisted in the planning and the production of three Guy Week Days events. And I mean, the, the wagons are a huge part of that, but there's more to Guy Week Days than just the wagons. And that includes the CPRA rodeo. So we have a professional rodeo in the afternoon and then in the evening we run wagons and there's so many moving pieces to that. It's a huge thing. It takes us quite a bit of work. And unfortunately it's not gonna go forward this year like in the past, but we're looking forward to a return to rodeo and racing very soon. We're actually on the schedule for a WPCA race um, the end of July. I mean, like you said, there's a lot of moving parts. Um, there, I mean, we didn't even touch about the cabaret that usually is there. Uh, <laughs> yes. What happens at the cabaret stays at the cabaret. Let's leave it at that. <laughs> yeah, let's, we'll just leave that alone. <laughs> But like you said, there's a lot of moving parts. And I mean, one of the things I think all associations are starting to look at now and all um, all committees is the production aspect. And, you know, the fact that, yes, we're in this world to support the rodeo guys and support the uh, wagon guys, but we also are in the world of entertaining. So absolutely, how... How do we move forward in that? And how do we, I guess, take this year, which has been a year of having to regroup, to adjust, to, you know, I hate the word pivot, but basically that's what we constantly are doing is pivoting. Um, right. And, you know, moving forward and making it so that we are enticing more people to show up and that we're giving an entertainment value. Right. There's... Oh, there's so many parts to it. Um, one of the things that we did for Guy Wiedek Days the last last year, maybe the last two years, I can't even remember. It all runs together now. Um, but we had the Indian Relay Races and they came and they ran between the rodeo time and the wagons time. And so there was something really high energy and really intense and fun to watch in between. And so, you know, it adds to the value of that performance. And our, our guests, the people that came out to watch were, they spoke really, really highly of it and they were looking forward to seeing it again. So we certainly want to have them back. And um, yeah, like we just, we try and make it more and more of a show each year. And we just want people to come out and enjoy themselves. I know I was really putting you on that spot with that question. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> I, I hope I 
covered no. some of it. And know. you know what? The, the Indian relay races, they are awesome. I love watching them. Um, we, I've seen them multiple times. It's really fun. Uh, I even got to see one of the, uh, one of the outriders from the CPCA participate. So, I mean, it is a really cool event to be a part of. I just, I wonder as we sit here and we chat when it comes to like the wagons, how do we, or even the rodeo, the rodeo is a little bit different because you can have the clown and you can have like all that fun stuff, but mm -hmm. wagons, we almost, how do we almost, you know, bring up that entertainment value? Is it by bringing a announcer in that connects more with the um, crowd between that like interacts with Les McIntyre too is like what if you if money was not an object what would oh you say oh so many options um I don't mind the idea of having sort of a color commentator maybe like a clown but not a clown, but somebody to have that banter back and forth. Cause Les McIntyre is great. He's got a really good persona and he's so good at, you know, getting the crowd amped up and he really gets them involved. So to have somebody that he could banter with something like that would actually work really, really well. I think, um, yeah, there's, my mind is just kind of whirling now. I'm like, what else could we do? If you need a crazy curly-haired country girl who's uh, obsessed with wagons, you know, you have my number. <laughs> oh, absolutely. There we go. Uh, I, you know, it's funny because I, I guess this is something I've been pondering for a while because I watch enough NFR that I probably, you know, shouldn't. But anyways, we're not going to dive into that too much. Um, <laughs> but but they, Flint Rasmussen is amazing. I love Flint. But they do, like... This year, I watched their opening, um, their openings, and they did kind of like they did a lot on the ground. And like I just, for me, I have this like wonder in my head, like if we could, you know, do the pyrotechnics on a smaller scale and a safer scale. What if you could do it where it like goes around the figure eight? Oh, I see. And it shows that idea and stuff like that. So I don't know. This is just me thinking outside the box. <laughs> no, that's cool. And it's, I'm, it's, I look a lot at the PBR and I'm like, well, what are they doing? So how can we? They're always lighting stuff on fire. Exactly. I mean, <laughs> <laughs> I'm not digging into that one too much. <laughs> but I mean, in my opinion, Wagons is just as high intensity, high paced, high stakes as bull riding. Oh, absolutely. I mean, when you've been to the grandstand in High River, that aluminum grandstand is the coolest thing for chuck wagons. Because when they make that fourth corner and they're coming home, everybody is stomping and it is like thunder. You can feel it in the ground and it is just incredible. So, you know, things like that, like really being able to take advantage of our venue is really neat as well. Where does social media play an aspect in your guys's um, rodeo and your plan and the egg society? What role is social media playing right now? And is that maybe something that could be grown? Oh, for sure. So social media is probably 90% of how our word gets around. It's, it's kind of the way that people communicate now. And so we're really trying to take advantage of that. 
we have a Twitter account and we have an Instagram account. And to be honest, we're not utilizing them nearly enough because, well, I'm, I'm a little older. I'm, I'm a Gen Xer. So Twitter and Instagram, they don't fit my focus level perhaps. Um, <laughs> but uh, Facebook certainly does. And so we use Facebook quite a bit and we need to learn to integrate the three platforms together better and really get our word out there. That being said, we still need to utilize radio and print publications a little bit. And it's because a lot of our fan base, especially for the wagons, tend to be a bit on the older side. And it's not that they aren't up on social media in some cases. In most cases, they're very good at it, actually. But it tends to not be where they go for their information at this point. So we're trying to balance that. And we have a great relationship with Sun Country and High River, which is fantastic. They're so great about helping us get the word out on the radio and things like that. Sun Country is awesome. I used to work at the Eagle and uh, I uh, I remember, I think it was five years ago. So it had been before your time, but uh, I wanted to cover the wagons. And I usually did one article pretty much a week during the summer on the wagons and that. And I did, uh, that's actually how me and my After the Ninth co-host Dayton got connected. Um, but yeah, when once I called in and said that I was with uh, Eagle and Sun Country, you guys were willing to get me my accreditation and, you know, help me get through the door. So that was really helpful and very cool. Yeah, absolutely. The, the more the merrier, right? Like the more media we get there, the more coverage we get, it, it just makes sense. And you know what, it's interesting you talk about like just how um, it's not your wheelhouse because, you know, Instagram and social media and Twitter and that, I mean, I'm, I'm right in that generation and I'm still confused some days. <laughs> I'm not even going to lie. I'm like, wait, you want me to do what now? Huh? Hey, I got to, what? <laughs> I'm, I'm supposed to now post that. Huh? Can someone explain to me how this is even interesting? Like, I know. Yeah. But I mean, that almost brings up the question is how do we use it within our realm? Is it more interviews with the guys? Is it more, um, you know, is it more community appearances, which then it's that's playing around with having to do with the schedule and everything it like what, how do we build that? Because like you said, the older demographic is there. They yes. know what they want. They know what they're doing. The younger demographic is somewhat there but you know I think they almost pay more attention to the cabarets which is why you're getting some of the bigger names to come and play at cabarets versus yep. what they're actually supposed to be coming for not to say anything against the cabarets the cabarets are fun the music is awesome I I do enjoy them but they're they're super fun and we've sold out the last three years that we held a cabaret we've sold out people lined up wanting in people climbing the fence for heaven's sakes like it's a super fun thing to go and see um we need those people to come and look at the wagons and the and the rodeo and we want them to come and see the other stuff that's there as well so that's why I just wonder I, I, that's just me thinking out loud but yeah no that's really interesting sorry I'm digging really deep here I'm like I didn't give you any of these questions beforehand <laughs> I'm like Tanya we're gonna put you on the hot seat and I mean hopefully you don't ban me from guy weedic days <laughs> that cast oh man she put me on this hot 
seat. <laughs> He's not allowed to come. Make sure that you have her picture posted everywhere. Don't let this girl Keep her in. away from me. <laughs> she made me sweat. <laughs> like no, you, not at all. Like you said, you are on the schedule for late July, which we are. The way that it's looking in the province is that's a really good possibility. It is. I, we're so, we're fingers crossed. We're so hopeful. We've been talking to Tammy at the WPCA and trying to make sure that we're communicating back and forth. And we're, we're really, really hopeful. So, I mean, it might be, it'll very likely be a very reduced crowd that we're allowed to have. And so we'll have to make sure that we're able to social distance. Um, our, our seating capacity is about 3000 on the grounds. And so, and that's seated. So that's, we've got 2,000 in the bleacher, or 2,000 in the grandstand, pardon me, and about 1,000 seats in the wooden bleachers. So there's plenty of room to stand and mill about as well. And we're, we're hopeful that we can have something that looks like a fun event. <laughs> we've been talking about um, some, some sort of a television broadcast that might be able to be sent out none of that is finalized so I don't want to name any names or anything like that but we're, we're hoping that we might be able to to do something that way instead absolutely and I mean this is going to be a hard year when it comes to things like sponsorship and that too so I mean that plays yes. a bit of a role in it as well and that plays you know trying to get things done and I mean, a lot of your guys' stuff is volunteer, but it I mean, sure is. there is, there's a price tag. Um, I mean, I don't, you said you were the treasurer, so I don't know if you know this number, but for an event like yours, which is, it's not the smallest on the tour, but it is on the smaller side. How much does holding, you know, the entire weekend with the CPRA and the wagons and everything cost? It is six digits and and I'm thinking ballpark, it probably costs us between two and $300,000. It's a huge number. So that's not a cheap endeavor. No, no, it is not. Like it, it literally makes me cold and sweaty to think about having to do this without our usual sponsors, without our usual volunteers. Um, it's, it's quite unnerving. So if people wanted to support uh, the High River Egg Society, uh, fingers crossed, tap on wood, pray to the gods, um, an upcoming wagon event, um, would CPRA possibly be a part of that or is that still an unknown? So CPRA, we're actually, um, C5 Rodeo is our production company for our pro rodeo event. And so we've been in talks with C5 and we're actually looking at holding a separate rodeo, probably late August, early September. We don't have anything approved. It's not on the CPRA schedule at this point. We're just kind of talking about some options. Um, but we're looking to separate the two events. And it would just, it would give us some ease of planning because I, I don't know if you're aware, but when we've got the WPCA on site, there has to be a very strict schedule about crossing the track and how the track is utilized in order to make sure that it is safe and um, well-maintained for the horses. So when we have the two events at the same time, it becomes difficult because we've got a couple hundred head of rodeo stock on the infield that 
people need to go back and forth and that sort of thing. And the wagons need train, they need to exercise their horses that aren't going to be running that night, things like that. So by splitting our two events, we can make our planning so much simpler for both. You know, and that's a really interesting idea. And I mean, that also will cut back on the number of people on the backside of things as well. Correct. Yeah, we kind of need half the people at any one point in time. So it, it just makes it all a little bit easier to manage. Well, that is really interesting and fun and fingers crossed. I miss, I, I love High River. High River is such a fun event to go to and it's so interesting. I love that, you know, like you're right in the action when you've got the wagons running literally on the other side of a chain link fence and you're standing there and you get all splattered with mud when they run by. It's, that's an experience, right? I mean, you don't get that at the Calgary Stampede even. It's a fantastic venue and it's an amazing thing to go and see, but you don't get that close. We almost need to create signs that say splash zone. <laughs> totally. <laughs> if you are standing within this range, you may get muddy. It, it may not even be mud. Sorry. <laughs> uh, yeah, sorry about that. <laughs> You're in the country. What do you expect? Right. I mean, people like pay extra to get like hit by water at SeaWorld or stuff like that. And it is not right? just water. So <laughs> no, let's think about that. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe this is an opportunity. Maybe we should be selling like extra tickets for getting within the splash zone. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> just putting out more things to add. <laughs> right uh but no i i'm really excited that we did the we had this chat there's a lot that we went through um now i'm kind of going to go back to your uh your you know growing up in that so we always ask everybody what is your mvp horse what is a horse that is so special to you we always reference logan goers canadian idol I joke that eventually if we ever make money off this thing, we're going to owe Logan royalties because we've used that name so much. Um, <laughs> but what is a horse that to you is so special that like it just it has that spot in your heart? So I've come across some really cool horses over the years, but my favorite is still the one who taught me the most. And that is my old grade mare, Goldie. She was just an average Palomino horse, but she had a heart that did not know when to quit. Um, she and I, we put on hundreds, possibly even thousands of miles bareback, under saddle or ponying a colt alongside. She, she taught me a few things. Most of those lessons were learned the hard way. Um, things like keep my eyes open, my hands soft, know when to duck and know when to bail out. <laughs> Um, I learned how to bail back on by necessity <laughs> and how to catch a hard to catch horse, how to train a horse to come to call, <laughs> necessitated by the hard to catch part. <laughs> um, she taught me patience and that exhilaration that I've really only experienced on the back of a horse just flying across a field. It's so free. It's incredible. I love that. That is so awesome. And, you know, that's so, those horses just have something special about them. Like they just, they hold that place. Right. Yeah. I, uh, I bought her from a gentleman named Bill Cormack and anybody in Northern Alberta in the horse industry would know Bill. He passed away this year. And so every time I think of her, I think of Bill. 
Oh, well, that, that's very sweet. Um, I, I'm going to say that uh, you, you told me that your public speaking skills are 100% from 4-H and, you know, they're awesome. So that's just, an, <laughs> that's just another like good on 4-H. <laughs> right. Like I was so shy. I was so, so very shy. <laughs> my My first speech was like utter agony. I was shaking. I was in tears. It was terrible. But I survived like countless other 4-H members and I learned to put those skills to use in my adult life. I've had many comments about 4-H being on my resume as an adult now. And I'm now the leader. Our 4-H club, uh, Meadowbank 4-H multi-club is based out of High River and my kids are both members. They are in the archery project and it's totally awesome because I can haul their project in the front seat of my car. <laughs> No truck and trailer required. <laughs> ah, there you go, people. For anybody who wants to join 4-H, but they don't want to have to carry around an animal. I mean, there right? you go. Absolutely. There's so many options in 4-H now. It's really cool. That's awesome. Well, I am really excited about sharing this interview. Um, what is coming up uh, for the Egg Society? I know last year there was a couple of jackpots ran um there so I mean you guys did see a little bit of action last year not the fun action but I mean jackpots are fun. <laughs> they are so and we actually we held a couple of barrel jackpots but we held a couple of pole bending jackpots and they're a little bit different right you you get a lot of the same people but some of those horses are true athletes and they excel at one and not the other so um yeah we had some pole bending jackpots with really great results and we actually started a summer, a junior summer rodeo series. So we had a three week event for our juniors and that was fantastic. It was, we had really great attendance and we're looking forward to doing that again. We haven't got any dates on the schedule yet. Um, oh, Little Bridges though. So Little Bridges is traditionally held May long weekend and just the way that things are right now, there there didn't seem like much chance that we were going to be able to do Little Bridges in any way, shape, or form on May long weekend. So we've bumped it back to June 12th is our tentative date right now. And so we are planning and hoping and maybe saying a few prayers and crossing our fingers that uh, we're going to be able to go ahead. It's not going to look like it has in the past just because it can't. Um, with indoor restrictions and so on but we're going to try and figure out a way to make it work. I think that's kind of just the motto of this year it's not going to look like it has in the past but you know what just getting it done is going to be the best feeling. Right yeah we're we're so hopeful and we're, we're currently seeking an exemption to make that happen and so we'll see we will see. Well, fingers are crossed for that because Little Bridges Rodeo is super fun and I enjoyed going to it in the past. Um, and, you know, it's it, it's just, it's good for the Western heritage. It's good for Western sports because right. it just amplifies it. Like it. Little Bridges has a 63 year, I think, I think this year's 63 year history. So... I mean, uh, how many rodeos, how many little junior rodeos can say that? That's so true. Um, so just as we kind of, you know, loop back to the wagons, um, how can people watch for more information and how can they uh, keep learning? 
So what we've got coming, we will be announcing first and foremost will likely be on Facebook. And then we also have our website, which is just highriverag.com. So that's highriverag.com. And so keep checking back on our Facebook page or our website and we'll keep things posted there. As soon as we know something is going to happen, we'll be sharing it for sure. Perfect. Um, well, thank you so much, Tanya. And I'm so glad that we got to chat. Thank you, Cass. It's been fun. Hi, I'm world professional chuck wagon driver, Kurt Benzmiller. The hours of hard work and sweat it takes to be a champion can put your body to the test. Sometimes you win, sometimes you lose, and sometimes you just need a chiropractor. Did you know that your chiropractor is specifically trained to help everything from neck strains to back adjustments to a foot sprain? Don't let pain get in the way of your goal towards the championship. Visit albertachiro.com for more information. Thank you again to Tanya for joining us on Women of the Wagons. And of course, as we talk about pivoting and alignments, this episode is brought to you by the Alberta College and Association of Chiropractors. Don't let pain prevent you from reaching your goal to be a champion. If it hurts, see your local chiropractor and visit albertachiro.com to learn more about the adjustments that chiropractors have made in their clinics to ensure that their patients are safe and able to focus on feeling better. Well, uh, like I said, there was a lot in that interview and it was a quick and sweet one, but I enjoyed it. Um... I'm really excited to see what uh, is going to happen with the High River event and Guy Wiedek days. Really, <laughs> I, I wish I had more answers to all this right now and I could say, you know, this is what's going to happen. But uh, like everything in the past year, I don't know. Um, what I'm going to leave you with is... If you are a fan of the sport and you want to support the sport, reach out to your local event. Find out what you can do. If you're a business and you have the money and you love the sport, sponsor. Um, that's what's going to help these guys get through. And sponsorship is so integral to the sport, whether it's putting on an event like you heard Tanya say. I mean, that's a lot of money. I don't even know what that much money looks like. Um... And if you want to support your favorite truck wagon driver, see if there's a way you can sponsor them. See if there's a, a sponsorship opportunity that can help them out. Um, a lot of guys are still looking for sponsorship for the shows that, you know, could be running this year. And I have high hopes. I do. That That's kind of where I'm going to leave this because, like I said... I'm not in those boardrooms. I don't make those decisions. I'm just a girl with a microphone who loves to tell the story of the sport. So as you heard, uh, we are now moving to Fridays for Women of the Wagons and it is going to be bi-weekly. So uh, stay tuned for the next episode and hopefully I'll have, you know, <laughs> a more upbeat uh, beginning to the show. Thanks for listening. I'm Cass Patterson. And throw me the key.